Right, guys, no, no TV. I told you, can you, I need you to be quiet, please. Doing a podcast with Pete and a dude in America, okay? Casper, <laughs> don't hide there. Don't hide there, please. Go on, Bennett. Yeah, I'm in a headlock, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Well, we can't hear you. <laughs> You'd think I'd be good at this by now. Oh, there you go. You got it. <laughs> Serious. Magic, magic finger. Is the magic thing exactly? Yeah. So sorry. I, you know how it is. For some reason, my Zoom app. Oh, now it's launching. Weird. I don't know. Oh, Here, I'm going to drop off this. I'm going to join on my my. I'll be right back. everybody and welcome to the FFS podcast with me Pete Coombs and Zach Emerson from the crew. Hey Pete, how you doing? Great, yeah, I'm all good. I'm looking forward to the winter. And today we are joined by Trent Bush, who is a Boulder, Colorado native and has been involved in snowboarding since the get-go really. And we're having a really long chat with Trent so we split this pod into two episodes. The first one is basically about how Trent got into snowboarding and the history of snowboarding in Colorado and the differences between the East Coast and the West Coast and the Colorado scene. And then the second one is more about the industry which um, Trent was founder of uh, many clothing brands. He also worked for Burton and has now started his own company called Artilect. And it's a fascinating chat. And then just before we chat to Trent, I just wanted to let you know that we've had a little bit of a hiatus in the pod over the summer months. We've been really busy as a crew. We've been climbing and getting out there and uh, keeping fit and getting ready for this winter. And last weekend we were at the ski show in London where we met a lot of people and a lot of people were really into splitboarding and wanted to find out more and uh, weren't really too sure how to start. And as such we've designed a workshop, four days on the snow, three evenings in the classroom as such, loose classroom just in the chalet, where we'll be discussing how to start and plan and navigate at all from looking at the avalanche forecast, weather forecasts and studying the map, deciding where to go the next day, all the way down to sort of micromanagement of terrain when we're on the mountains and we plan to spend a night in a hut too. There's only six spots, three have already gone so there are three spots left uh, as we record this pod and it'd be great to get it filled. So if anybody's interested you can find out more on our website backflopjournal.com. Anyway, without further ado, let's meet Trent. Hi, Trent. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Glad you could make it. So I guess we'd like to start, really, with just snowboarding and how you got into it. If you could just, you know, tell us, I mean, how old were you? Oh, man. So- I, yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's a long time ago. Um, so grew up in, in Boulder, in, in Colorado. Um, my my dad was super involved in the outdoor industry. 
Um, and that'll kind of play in later when we talk about Arlock, but I, I was, you know, in super into, uh, skiing. My dad was super into skiing, but also into just like outdoor activities. His whole thing was hiking, camping, fishing, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and skiing. And so he got my brother, Troy and I involved in, in skiing. I mean, we were probably two years old, I'm sure. Um, when we, when we first put on some skis, um, and, you know, growing up in that sort of outdoor lifestyle sort of family. Um, but then I, I discovered skateboarding um, in the late, mid to late 70s. I mean, I was only seven years old, you know, when I bought a, a, Z, a Z-Flex J Adams uh, skateboard from the local skate shop and was just enamored with with skateboarding and, and discovering skateboard lifestyle. I mean, we had a, a skate park here, early skate park in Boulder. Kryptonics, the wheels company, was was from Boulder. So there was a there was a pretty well established skate scene. Um, the problem with growing up then in in Boulder in Colorado, when it snowed in the winter, first time it snowed, they put uh, sand down on the streets um, to you know for traction, and so literally from the first snow until they cleaned it up in the spring. The streets were much more difficult to to skateboard on, um, and so you know there were there were things around. There were snurfers, of course. I mean, being in the U.S., snurfers, they were just a thing. They were a toy. People had them at the sledding hill, um, but we we really started thinking about snowboarding really early. Uh, you know, riding our own sleds, standing up, all those kinds of things. But what really was the the catalyst for us was uh, Kryptonics again. The the skate company, the skate wheel company, also started making skateboards in the late seventies, and they actually did skateboards with Ptex bottoms. Did they? And they didn't in my neighborhood, yeah, they, they're they're pretty rare now, but you can still find them. Um, and the kid in my neighborhood, his dad worked at Kryptonics and and opened a basically a Kryptonics skate shop in his bedroom, and you know, looking at those things and, you know, knowing about snurfers and all, all of that, put it all together. And there's a little hill in our, in our neighborhood. And so we actually started riding these, these skateboards with P-Tex bases uh, down just this little tiny hill, building jumps, doing all the things kids do, you know, skateboard, no trucks and, a, or wheels and, a, and some sky hooks. And so we used to go and kind of take turns. And it was funny because we didn't we didn't know snowboarding really even existed. Um, but because there was a deep sort of ski culture and, and then the skate culture in, in Boulder in particular, there were some early guys, uh, sort of older friends who discovered actual snowboarding, that that existed, you know, late, se- late 70s, early 80s. So the Pappas brothers, uh, Kevin Delaney, Tim Wendell is from Boulder, you know, all these people who actually went on to become sort of luminaries in, in snowboarding were all sort of around. And so I remember, I'm not sure, it was probably 80, 81-ish, riding a uh, Sims, uh, Lonnie Toft, uh, again, just at local hills. And, and, and it, keeping it in context, I mean, it wasn't, it was standing up sideways on a thing. You know, it yeah, wasn't yeah. snowboarding, right? I mean, it was, we weren't skiing, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't what we think of, of of snowboarding today. There was still a whole sort of growth curve, you know, things like edges and bindings yeah. and 
<laughs> there was a lot of stuff ahead. So I, I was just really lucky to be able to be sort of front row center to what would become a, a sort of a global movement from the sort of microcosm that, that Boulder was at the at the time, both in skateboarding and then in snowboarding. That um, The cryptonics thing is absolutely hysterical because when I was a kid, I've got two older brothers and my eldest brother got a skateboard back in the 70s and he had cryptonics on it. Mm -hmm. And they were the thing, you know, you had to have crypts. Everyone was like, if you've got crypts, you ain't got crypts, man. That's no good. You, you they were the thing, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they I, they were making mining mining wheels for, for, you know, hard rock mines for the carts. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that, that was how cryptonics became. Uh, well, they're in the same sort of compound. They, well, yeah, they were making urethane compounds for, for mining. Wow. And wow. somebody took the and I, I really need to figure this out being kind of a historian also I don't know the exact story so I've got to figure it out but uh making that leap from hey these work great on mine rails with mine carts how would they work uh on the streets you know but that was the thing I mean cryptonics especially being here was such a it was it was it was just pretty wild I mean there were this skate industry in Boulder between cryptonics and the wheels and then wall boards and boulder boards I mean they were making wood for for uh, Dogtown in Boulder, and and a lot of the other companies, a lot of the wood was being made here in Boulder, which yeah. just seems really strange. But for some reason, being landlocked, we had those two components to come together, and that really, when snowboarding sort of became a thing, Boulder became almost one of those real formative, important places where snowboarding really took a you know, an early, early hold and then really evolved, evolved out of here. I mean, even like Jake Burton went to University of Colorado here in Boulder to be a, a ski racer and got injured and went back to Vermont after that and, and started Burton. Um, first, first snowboard contest, the, the real documented first snowboard contest, a, a, a guy, Richard Christensen, um, did here in, in Ski Cooper in Colorado in kind of in 80 81 in that season um and then the world's spun out of here and just so much of that early early snowboard culture and actually the the brands and and some of the directions that snowboarding ultimately became were driven straight out of boulder and so again i was just lucky enough to be here and be a kid and and get connected with the right people for the right reasons yeah right place right time yeah 100 so i i really I don't want to be insulting at all, okay? But Boulder, <laughs> I've never been. I'm super interested in Boulder itself because is it sort of a satellite of Denver or is it not yeah, really? Yeah, I mean, we're just like 20 miles. 20 it's miles just away. 20 miles. So is it like a suburb or is it just a, is it it's a stand -up? not a suburb. It, it, in the, I don't know if it was in the 60s, uh, the city of Boulder decided to start buying up all the surrounding property uh, and create open space. So there's oh, like okay. a buffer zone. So it's oh, its, its like own little it's it's its own little island. Sometimes it, it used to be physical island, but also kind of mentally. Um, you know, Colorado is a mining and farming. You know, it, it used to be a little more. Uh, I don't know how to say it exactly. Just more rural. Um, of course, there was always the mountains, and there was the little pockets of mountain culture. Yeah, the resorts and that kind of thing, but the but the rest of Colorado was 
was definitely a little bit more rural and Boulder was always this little island of of difference I think because the the you know the main university University of Colorado is here uh there's a lot of governmental stuff going on here the atomic clock is here you know there's just all kinds of things um that kept Boulder a little bit more probably uh progressive in in time so again it, yeah I mean it's it's close enough to be a suburb but it's always been its own thing that well, makes sense <laughs> I, work, I work in advertising Trent as a I'm a director uh, uh filming commercials and stuff and there's a there's a few companies in boulder uh which are great um and um there's a place called may an agency called made that i did a job for I know, a couple of seasons oh, yeah, back. Yeah. great guys there and the the um even the the, the 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 executive creative director dude doesn't look like you'd expect like he he he's got like tattoos like all over his face and they do this active they don't want anyone to be at work at nine nine o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Who who were you working with? Who was that? Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. He's just lovely, lovely fella, really yeah. talented. Yeah, like very distinctive tattoos coming. Yeah, right it doesn't matter. I, yeah, I know, I know a bunch of those guys. Yeah, but there, was, well, there's also that, it's sort of an advertising that whole media thing. Like there, you know, Bogusky's here. Like there are all those guys that are. Yeah. That and then made kind of spun out of that. Yeah, it's it's a different it's. There's a, a very strong uh, culture here um, of based around the outdoors yeah. and people who it's not a ski town, you know, as, as sort of it's not a resort town, but <clears throat> it there's a huge climbing culture here, of course, um, but but people tend to choose something they love and just go all in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, these dudes were saying that they were like, we don't want anyone at 9am, like coming at 11 or half 11. And, you, and the rules are you have to have done something cool that morning, like go skiing, <laughs> go running, just do something that's good for you and then do flexi hours. And as long as you deliver, you know, that's how we roll. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah. such a cool way to work. Great. It is a it is a cool way. And that's kind of, I think, maybe what there's always been a little bit of that sort of maverick sort of, maybe it's a little wild westy um where it every it's kind of every man for themselves of uh, by mentality and and yeah you know if you're if you live here that that is there's a spirit of of there's a lot of sort of that diy sort of spirit um uh, but that it, you should be out experiencing something and doing something hmm. um and i think that pulling that back to the, the snowboard conversation it is just a mentality um and i think that's going back to well why was skateboarding why was why were snowboarding driven out of here in a lot of ways even though it wouldn't make i mean snowboarding made sense skateboarding didn't um it, it's still i think it's from that spirit uh of you know i live here for a reason the mountains are right here for a reason there's the you know the seasons and all the things i'm going to be out there enjoying it you know there's there's easier places to live um coming back to the sort of diy spirit do you want to um tell us how you got into making clothing i mean i think yeah. It was Twist, which you started with Twist, yeah? is that correct? I actually, I started with Wave Rave before. Twist was Wave my Wave. first brand. Right. But yeah, I can tell you the, I can tell you the story. Um, yeah, do it, man. Yeah. So snowboarding was becoming a thing, early 80s. There were groups of people that were that were doing it. There were places you could buy snowboards, but they were, so the, the really the two main places at the time you could buy snowboards, you could buy it at the hardware store 
Um, or you could buy it at a place called Bob's Toys and Hobbies. There were some skate shops, but they didn't necessarily carry um, snowboards. But Bob's Toys and Hobbies was, uh, they, they sold model kits, you know, like little cars and things you could paint, and then skateboards. And one of the main reasons, there was a guy named Fran Richards who uh, went on to be one of the early people at Trans World Snowboarding Magazine. And he's he's just been, he, he helped start the, the World Snowboarding Championships here in, at Breckenridge, all that stuff. Um, long story short, I would go, I, you know, skate culture was the thing. Um, we would go after school, take the bus up to, to Bob's Toys and Hobbies with our skateboards. We'd go get the newest issue of Thrasher. We'd do all the stuff, look at all the new skateboards, the stuff we couldn't afford. Um, and they also started carrying snowboards. And that was probably, <clears throat> I don't know, 83-ish. And so then we started going up and, and this guy, Fran, uh, was, I mean, he was just a teenager at the time. He had just started going to the university, but he was infectious in, in how we would talk about not only skateboarding, but also in snowboarding. And, and we became friends. And again, I'm this 12 year old kid, uh, but, but I, I just, I was so into it that when another skate shop, well, actually it was a, a surfwear store called Wave Rave, there's still the Wave Rave shop, if you've ever heard of this, in, in Mammoth Lakes, um, Steve Clausen's place, which is sort of the most one of the most famous snowboard shops in the U.S. Um, right. But Wave Rave started here in Boulder. Uh, I got a job there when I was 14 or 15 years old, along with my brother. We had talked them into kind of carrying skateboards first. Fran moved over. Then they started carrying snowboards. I started working there and put together with Brett Conrad, who was the owner, a... Uh, a snowboard team and so of of kind of the locals so again it was you know the pappas brothers so chris and george pappas it was tim wendell uh kevin delaney dave dowd um i mean so many early super influential snowboarders and they were all here um and then we decided well you know what the the team kind of needs uniforms of a sort and so started making uh, just one jacket um, and then just sold other other assorted snowboarding stuff. Um, that was again, probably 85, maybe 86 when that jacket came out. <coughs> uh, I made a pair of pants. Quimboa Man was an old brand way back in the day. And I put uh, sort of wave and rave on the knees with puff paint or the jacket we went up to the the world the worlds which was the big contest in, in breckenridge that started in 86 and 87 you know that was really the most important one of the most important contests that ever that ever happened for global snowboarding uh went up there people were super into it super into the jackets um into some stickers the guys were wearing their gloves i mean it was just this thing and people started calling the shop asking for the wave rave clothing and, and we really didn't have anything we had a few jackets for the team and so that started wave rave making apparel and back then because again boulder was such a outdoor hub there were actual outdoor apparel manufacturers here like my dad's company it was called frostline um so it was a normal thing to just be able to walk down the street and make clothing so uh we started the the shop started making wave rave clothing which became one of the bigger clothing apparel brands of the um, late 80s, early 90s, and into the later 90s. 
um, so working at the shop, loving snowboarding, immersed in the culture, selling snowboards for a living uh, when I wasn't in high school. Um, my brother and some friends that worked there, and uh, we we didn't love the direction snowboarding was headed in because it was really that 80s neon, uh, you know, big hair, tight clothes, tiny stances. I mean, you you know, you know, the 80s snowboarding. Oh, yeah. thing. Um, and so we, but we, we were skaters at heart, you know, we were skateboarders who snowboarded. Um, and we really were so into, to skate culture and, and the neon sort of snowboard thing just wasn't what we were looking for. Um, and so we started twist when we were in high school for, uh, you know, using actually the roll ends of all the wave rave stuff, the non neon stuff, uh, putting it together in new ways. And having even like my mom sew some of our, our first polar fleece hoodies and things like that at home. And, and so we started, we started Twist as a, as a total, <clears throat> you know, teenage rebellion against sort of the status quo of what the snowboard industry was. And, and the only other choices, I mean, there was Wave Rave, there was, you know, Burton clothes, there was Sims. Um, Sessions had some early stuff, but there wasn't a whole lot, you know, Quicksilver uh the the very french version of of uh the their yeah. apparel program there weren't that many choices and most of it was not what we liked at all not even close and so we started twist as a total reaction uh to the version of snowboarding that that you know that that was kind of old school we were looking at this idea of skateboarding on snow more than using sort of the influence of skiing or maybe surfing so that was that's where we started twist and then with with my uh dad head on how are your grades you were saying you were doing all of this you were still at school how was that i mean your mom's my grades in snowboarding were were high <laughs> yeah. yeah no but, i mean uh, it, it you know it was a it was a different time there wasn't again going back to kind of that diy mentality yeah you you kind of had to make your own way um i wasn't cut out for university and I, I this is what we found early and this is what we wanted to make our life in and so it was twist was above all else including including school yeah. um yeah i mean that was just you you could do that here and whether it was foolish or not uh that's you know a choice we we all just kind of made and because we were following something we loved and that was sort of the that was sort of the going thing here yeah. in, in particular well, you're speaking of it very fondly, so it would suggest that it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got zero regrets, not not literally not one. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. What happened to, because the fear, failure, success is the, the name of the pod. So oh, yeah. what happened? Because it took a bit of a dive, yeah? Yeah. I mean, so the fear part of that, there was none because we were kids, you know, and we just thought, oh, we could just do this. Everybody can do this, yeah. you know? And it was, it was interesting because there was no again the, those are the brands that i mentioned that, that existed you know volcom didn't exist um 686 didn't exist so there weren't these there wasn't the snowboard apparel thing so we were just fearless we went out and tried to raise money tried to go to banks tried to do all that stuff um and didn't know what we were doing we had we had nothing but passion we didn't have money we didn't have family money uh banks we weren't bankable um so we 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 have that a similar 
sort of early snowboard success story where we made samples. We went to the SIA trade show in Vegas at the time. Um, we sold some stuff and then we got the the Japanese distributor that came to the booth. And that's, you know, if you talk to a lot of 90s, early 90s snowboard brands, that was the difference maker back then because snowboarding was such a crazy thing in Japan uh, yeah. that we, with one order, you know, went way beyond our, our even our wildest dreams of what this thing could become. Um, and then had to figure out, okay, well, we've got the order. We don't have the money to make it. And so then we just, it was just sheer determination and eating a lot of uh, Taco Bell here because I was so cheap um, and years of just, just grinding away. Um, so Twist was actually a huge success for ultimately being a failure. And the success part was just in, in, in a, a few respects, I think the biggest for me was in taking that vision of what we thought snowboarding should be at the time, which it just wasn't. And then creating, a, it wasn't just the clothes, it was creating a cultural component with where snowboarding really has become. And it's the, the team riders, it's the media, um, it's the art, it's the, it's the 24 hour lifestyle that we were interested in, not just snowboarding. Um, yep. Snowboarding was the glue that brought a whole crew of people together. Uh, but it was really that, that 24 hours and, and just trying to, to um, you know, it wasn't to succeed so much as it was to get your point across. And so we were trying really hard just to, to show what we thought snowboarding should be and could be. Um, so in the early years, the you know our our riders um, were were much more they were just so different than than what you would see in the magazines and what you would see in the videos, um, and our scene was you know the Boulder scene had then expanded up to Summit County, Colorado, uh, and Summit County really was the hotbed of that '90s new school. I mean, of course, there was stuff happening in California. There's stuff happening all over the place. But Summit County in particular was the place where it all came together from the riding style, which then, you know, or the the, the culture which drove the riding style, which was skate-driven, which drove the equipment modifications, like cutting the nose and tails off your board and uh, creating your own stance with T-bolts and taking off your high backs and, and literally just making skateboards. You could ride on snow. the The clothing style then was driven out of out of that. You know, how could you look good on a snowboard instead of just know how to snowboard? Um, and then it was the the art part of that, and then the videos. So one of our early crew was Justin Hostinek, if you know uh, Absinthe Films. Oh yeah, yeah. And so you know, we started what ended up being absent later on with with our own videos with the twist videos back in the day because again we we didn't have the big mags they were snowboarder and transworld were in southern california and they were really covering sort of southern california driven snowboarding what was going on here was totally different and it wasn't exposed you know the big movies totally bored and all, all those movies they weren't showing what we were doing up there 
it was a totally different thing. I mean, we weren't riding snowboards with stock stances in snowboard clothing. Like we were literally just making it all up. And so we had to find a way to get that get out that out to the the world. So we were making videos. Uh, Evan Hecox, who's our our artist at the time, became after Twist went down. I'll talk about that real quick here. But he became the the artist for Chocolate Skateboards, and did the iconic chocolate logo and all of their deck art for twenty years. You know, after that, um, and Justin with his photography and his videos. Then our team riders. You know, we had the deepest, literally the deepest team, uh, kind of on the planet of all the early innovators, and 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 so this thing built up to be big over years and global. And we were doing snowboard clothes, of course. We were doing streetwear. We were doing sunglasses. We had a sunglass line. We were doing it was it was wild and became uh, in the U.S. market in specialty stores. So not like the big giant retailers in volume, but we were second to oh, burden yeah. in how many shops we were in. Well, you know, we were in the UK, we were in, we were all over Europe, we were in Japan, we were, you know, everywhere there was snowboarding, we were a, a pretty major brand. We had started a women's division called Tuesday with uh, Tina Bassich and, and Shannon Dunn. We There was just a lot going on at the time. Um, so to, to get to the failure part, we were, because we didn't know what we were doing at the beginning and because we didn't have any sort of traditional business or finance background, we had only passion. We would, you know, get the orders. We would operate for nine months. We would make them, we would sell them. We would get the money back, you know, just the, the buy sell cycle of, of a, being a winter brand predominantly. Um, and we grew so much every year. We could never keep up with the, the finance needs. Um, we had, by that time, transitioned to an ownership structure or a financial partner that was based in Japan because Japan was on such a tear. Uh, 1996, I think, when the Japanese economy tanked. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we were we were financed by a company that their primary they primarily made car accessories, um, and then they had some interest in snowboarding they had owned division 23 if you remember that brand back in the day yep. uh, a few brands um but we got a we got a call it was actually wild we were at, at we had a sunglass launch party with uh with interview magazine here in the u.s at spy bar in soho in new york like this big launch party we were like at the top and we get a phone call like three days after um saying, hey, you know, uh, we, our, we had our shareholders meeting and the economy's bad and we're losing money for the first time in ever. Uh, and that that doesn't happen in Japan. And they said, just send us our money back and we'll be on, you, you'll be on your way. And we had already borrowed money for, you know, eight months of the year. Yeah. Including all of our production, everything. And and my brother and I, Troy, like we we didn't have you know, again, we had more passion than money and, and basically went from what we felt was like the top of the world to not being able to finance it and come through. We had about a week to figure it out. They had given us about a week. We had a couple of people lined up, a couple of different ski brands even. And at the end of the day, it felt like we were just buying a job for ourselves and a job we didn't really want. And we, we kind of ended up walking away, traded our uh, personal guarantees for the trademarks and the assets and and off we went 
<laughs> so, mm-hmm. so they, I mean, the... it, it, to the point where my wife actually, she's my wife now, she's my girlfriend. We had put everything back into the brand, and she ended up having to get a paper out, you know, throwing papers so we could make rent. So she's a keeper, uh, number mm-hmm. one. But also that that's sort of how snowboarding is for for brands who follow it for the you know what I consider the right reasons, which are the passion pieces of it, and not you know, and and uh, around a specific vision. There's some similarities with the with the shoe dog story that Phil Knight tells in his amazing book. Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, I, th- I think it happens to to a lot of people, you know, unless you're sort of blessed to have money in the family. Uh, snowboarding's not the easiest place to to make money, especially especially back then, you know, when the the hype was significantly larger than the actual market. Uh, but also, there were a lot of new players sort of coming in. Um, and yeah, so there were a lot of you know small companies that just couldn't weather the weather that initial storm. And we did it, you know. We our our team riders were very. I mean, we had Ingmar Backman. We had you know from the European perspective, um, Jakob. There was you know Stevie Alters and Adam Merriman, J two. Um, there were so many riders here in the U.S. Jay Nelson. I mean, you go on and on and on with these riders that were, you know, Tina and Shannon, of course, um, who were very top notch. We were paying them more than we were paying ourselves. You know, Jeremy Jones. I mean, these these are people that became huge, huge, huge in the marketplace. And then Mark Frank, you know, Mark Frank Montoya. I mean, again, just like we it was a it was a club more almost than it was a business in a lot of ways. And that was something that that, you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't always, you know, that doesn't always win. And in this case, it didn't. So we went from feeling at the top of the world to, you know, the the loss part of that to, to zero, literally zero in 10 days. How did you cope um, personally, you guys? Did you go with the flow or was it crushing? You know, a little bit of both. Um, of course, crushing, because I, at that point I was only... I don't know, 26 years old, maybe. And it it was it was very, very much crushing from that piece. But then it was just kind of like, okay, well, now what? You know, and I was on the the board of directors of SIA, um, which is the ski and snowboard sort of it used to be the big trade show here, of course, in, in Vegas. And I was on the board with Jake Burton at the time. Um we were the two sort of I guess representing snowboarding, uh, and then it was like all these old school guys, like you know Klaus Obermeyer and Dave Jacobs from Spider, and all these ski guys, which was amazing to to get to know a lot of these guys. But um, got to know Jake pretty well over the time. We knew each other before that, um, just because we were you know there were not that many people who were kind of around as long as as I was and and being a kid back then and selling their products for many years. We got to know know each other over over the years but uh we got to know each other pretty well actually at these at these uh board meeting events where would you know they'd be long weekends and all kinds of exotic places with the the ski guys uh and so he knew twist he knew kind of what we were up to and and the the rest of burton also knew and so i think it was maybe it was like two or three weeks later after the whole twist thing went down just got a call to see if we wanted to come out and 
meet Jake and the senior team uh, at his house in uh, on Long Island to to talk about future ideas. And so my brother and I dusted ourselves off. You know, literally the the wounds were couldn't have been more fresh. Um, went out, sat down with Jake and and his team, and went away be, becoming the the sort of creative leads for their soft goods program. So their apparel, anything basically that you cut and sew or knit, you know, we were we were sort of heading up that thing, which was interesting. Back then, did you feel that, because, I mean, earlier you were saying that, that you were doing it in a completely different way to everyone else. Do you think there was a really big divide between even what they were doing on the East Coast and what you were doing yeah. in the West? Oh, I think so. I think so. And 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 Burton in particular is a totally different thing. There's sort of the snowboard industry and then there's Burton, right? Because they're so big, they didn't necessarily mesh, you know. I mean, Burton's always done their own events. They've always and and, and it's always been great for for Burton and ends mm -hmm. up being great for snowboarding in the end, but um it was a very uh I'll just put it this way, we were still competing pretty head to head with our idea of what snowboarding was versus maybe even the rest of the the world you know what we were doing in Colorado in Summit County and that then moved to Vail and then that was just starting to move to Utah at that point from kind of a pro rider perspective what, you know what we were living differences it all day every day would you say Trent I'm sorry what what are the could you define some of the differences you're talking about between the the different coasts so I mean West Coast is definitely, you know, not and West Coast is a big, tall coast, right? So right. what was happening in, in Pacific Northwest on the West Coast was different than SoCal, than like Orange County, LA, you know, San Diego, that that sort of area. So the the and Santa Barbara with, with Sims and all of that, the the skate and surf piece of it, really the surf piece of it was what was driving Southern California. Yeah. The 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 skateboard part of it, yes, but not not like it did here in the in in Colorado, but where things were happening in in uh, Southern California, it was there wasn't a lot of innovation from the riders. There wasn't in riding and tricks, hundred percent. Don't get me wrong, but from the the whole package of modifying your boards and uh, modifying your look and and it you know. SoCal already had skate and surf culture. And so it didn't really, snowboard culture wasn't, it was driven by skate and snow and surf so much. East Coast had ski culture so much. And so, so much of what was driven from the East Coast was more almost ski discipline, you know, slalom and giant slalom and downhill and, and timed racing. Right. West Coast, you know, then of course, Baker and all the stuff going on up there was, was, wild and, and totally different but what converged in Colorado in particular and especially in Summit County uh was an actual snowboard culture that that came out um taking influences from all that stuff but it became it was something that was actually sn you know snowboard first its own thing um, and and grew out it wasn't just something you you left your coastal town and drove up to to Big Bear or Snow Summit or something like that it was you were living it, you know, at the ghetto in Breckenridge, 24 hours a day with all the people who were uh, 
that were doing that all day every day to drive it you know and it was the photographers and it was the the riders and it was the brands in so many ways and and so it, it's just a different thing you know Colorado just became that that sort of and Summit County in particular became the the sort of nucleus like camp, of camp like, four for snowboarding yeah and what what snowboarding is now and what it became you know it it, it proved out that skateboarding on snow is more of the driver of what snowboarding is now than for resort snowboarding uh, is more of what the driver is now than ski racing, you know, um, that then things shift and we'll talk, we can talk about backcountry and all that stuff, but, but the, you know, that has now shifted where there's a, a, dry, a strong surf drive, of course, that, that feel of flow and freedom and, and, you know, I don't even know the exhilaration of, of surfing that has gone from where we could only snowboard in the backcountry to where we got access to the lifts and really started progressing there to where now that got boring and now we're all back in the backcountry again. And access to backcountry and all those things got to be so much different, so much bigger, and the challenges and everything got considerably bigger. And so that is sort of this whole life cycle of where snowboarding has, has sort of, you know, almost gotten back to where it came from. Just the one thing I would mention, you know, we, in those early days of snowboarding, we couldn't ride lifts. There were only a couple yeah. of places. So we, you know, we learned to snowboard here in Boulder. There's some, there's a rock formation called the Flatirons, which is pretty iconic. But underneath that, there's a, there was an old ski area in the 50s and 60s, just a rope toe, back when it used to snow a lot here. Um, but we, a lot of us learned to, to snowboard on those slopes because you you couldn't ride a lift anywhere. You you had to hike. You know, we then you'd start going to to Berthoud and Berthoud Pass, Loveland Pass. Of course, those things pre-lift service for us. That's where we would snowboard, and there we didn't snowshoe. We'd boot pack and get as much terrain as you could. A lot of car drops and that kind of thing because we would use ourselves as the lifts um so the the soulful side for me of snowboarding still exists and that that's still where it was born it was born with you know you and your board and sort of endless possibilities endless possibilities possibilities we didn't know were maybe dangerous <laughs> um but nevertheless you know sort of that that feeling of of freedom and and you know being able to explore and, and just get out there love that very splitboardy. yeah yeah, yeah. The, uh, original splitboard culture wasn't it before they were splitting off <laughs> yeah. i mean i love the car drops that's still going that's still a big thing isn't it? oh yeah yeah lot. we do it all the time and then full moons why not you know and but it's but again it's specific you know because splitboarding where the car drops is it's almost just a it's almost just another ski area at that point yeah. and of course it's super fun and there's a culture around that and all that but it, it still isn't it, it's not solitude you're there it's you and your 200 closest friends right it's like yeah. where you we have a there's a local shop satellite does a um, the love games uh up on loveland pass and they set up a, a you know all of these old features that we used to film back before snow parks and and big hits and jumps and they do a really cool contest. So again, there's a really cool culture that goes around that, but it, it's, it, it is 100% not splitboarding 
and and sort of the soulful solitude that goes with that again it's just a, it's a totally different thing but fun nevertheless yeah i guess you guys kind of makes me feel like you were the punk rockers <laughs> yeah. i mean that's kind of because that's what we yeah that's what we listened to and that's what we did sticking it to the man you know (laughs) we were sticking it to the man the other thing about boulder uh if you ever knew the band dead kennedys uh yeah 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 joe Joe biafra uh went to boulder high a couple years ahead of us and so there was always this you know weird punk rock culture also in boulder amazing i've got some you have what some Dead Kennedy uh, seven inches downstairs in the cupboard there. There you go. Getting covered yeah. in dust. Yeah, I was yeah, a big. I mean, that's there. exactly that's exactly it. We were always, you know, and remain to this day, you know, sort of. The, again, it goes back to DIY, right? That's what that's what punk rock is, right? And so, at least the the good one, the good version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and that's the, the, it's the mentality. Yeah, it's like plowing your own path. Just not do being it. distracted by what people think. Just do this what you what like. I mean, the naivety of youth as well in setting up a business and just plowing on and like, why in the hell wouldn't the banks give me money? I don't understand. Uh, you know, exactly, you know. And back then they were asking people. us, like, they're like, <laughs> do you have any, uh, you know, collateral? No. Do you have any land? No. Do you have any livestock? I mean, this is yeah. the this is the time. Yeah. Like, just no, going I, I, I don't. I have no livestock. You know. And then you'd get to the point of like, well, why wouldn't people just wear ski clothes? Well it's different you know i just remember we got kicked out and the last thing the banker said was you know well i hope you have a rich uncle just like yeah but you know i I, it's equal parts for me at least it's uh the there's a little bit of a curse about it because i i you know i'm it's not the easiest way to make a living you guys you guys know i mean to, to try to sell somebody a quality jacket that lasts a long time you know, it's not the easiest way to, you don't need that many of those in your lifetime for a lot of people. And so, um, and the snowboard industry, I mean, snowboarding is a very, very small industry. You know, it seems like it's global and there's, stu- you know, a lot of riders, but but you compare that to almost anything else. And there's really not. And there are a lot of brands and it's very sort of, you know, it's a crowded marketplace. There are a lot of really sophisticated players now. Um, and I think that's the most exciting thing and, and, you know, tying it back to what we haven't even talked about is splitboarding the <clears throat> right now in snowboarding in particular, it's kind of gone full circle, almost full cycle to where it, it had the huge rise in excitement, riders, you know, global scale, whatever, to where there was a, a lot of money or a promise of a lot of money in it. And so it it became much more of a true business and industry. Um, but what's happened in the last few years with even more consolidation, all that snowboarding has never been more fun. It's never been more accessible. It's never had better equipment ever. Um, but to to provide any of that, you have to really love it now. It's not where you come in and and you could ratchet up your career and and take this thing to the next level. It's like we've already done that. So now, if you're in the snowboard industry on a brand side, uh, you it, it's really driven by passion again in, in most ways. Um, the A lot of the money has left the building, a lot of the huge sponsorships and team riders and all that, you know, and everybody's good. And it's just like, it, so now to be in it, you have to really, really love it. So I actually 
I'm more optimistic right now about the snowboarding industry itself and more excited about it. And things like Shops First Try and, and Interlude over here and, and that that community piece of it again. And the, you know, all the shapes and all the little boutique, you know, craft snowboard makers. And uh again, you can you can actually do it now at a level that doesn't require that overblown sense of need to have team writers and advertising and movies and blah, just to just to have some exposure. So it's actually the for me at least, I'm I'm really excited about snowboarding right now. And I'm especially excited about sort of younger crews of riders taking it into their hands. I work with some guys here, uh Torment magazine, if you know Torment. Um it's worth worth looking up. They're they're just some guys okay. who love snowboarding and and so I help advise them a little bit. You know, the the podcast thing, of course, is is another way that that writers like what you guys are doing, taking the aspects and segments that they love the most and finding ways to support really to, to ratchet those up and support them. And it's just so interesting and so cool. Like who would have thought and it just didn't and again, don't take this the wrong way, that there would be a UK based splitboard podcast. You know, and I started I listened to I think I may have listened to every I mean, <laughs> yeah, and and because it's just it's just really interesting and really cool, and I love hearing the different perspectives and takes that people have from all different parts of the the world on on what snowboarding is and where it's kind of headed. Mm -hmm.